the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you get on Christian social media, there's a lot of discussion about theology. And yet, if we're not careful, we'll gather in our large rooms. We'll sing the songs that we love. We'll passionately proclaim the name of Jesus while walking right by those in need. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And Pastor Zach had an opportunity yesterday to be a part of a celebration of life service for someone he did not know, but someone who was influential in their field of work. And as Zach preached that funeral message, he also had an opportunity to share the gospel of salvation, the truth of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternity. And there at a funeral service, several grown men in the boxing profession gave their lives to Jesus Christ. There's something, there's something about the reality of life and death that opens our eyes to the urgency. This life is frail. It's coming to a close. May we not sing that song. I grew up learning in Sunday night church. I wished we'd all been ready. Look at verse 5. So Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then notice what he does. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go washed in the pool of Siloam, Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed. And came back seeing. Now, isn't this a strange and simple way for Jesus to do a miracle? If you turn on religious television and you watch many of those who are professing to do miracles and wonders in the name of Jesus, it's often a little more flashy than what Jesus did in this setting. Because the purpose of what Jesus was doing was to give the man sight so that he might see the giver of eyes. So Jesus acts in this strong way, and then the evidence of the miracle takes place after the man responds in obedience to the command of Jesus. So again, theologians could sit and say, now, when did the miracle take place? Did it it take place when Jesus spoke the word? Did it take place when he picked up the dirt or when he spat and made it mud or when he placed it on his eyes? We don't know, but what we do know is that when he did what Jesus told him to do and washed his eyes, he saw stuff he had never seen before. The miracle took place in the context of obedience. And I would just say this to you. 
I believe miracles still take place in the context of obedience. Some of you are saying, God, I, I just don't sense you. I don't, I don't feel your presence. I come to worship and, and I don't get the Holy Ghost goosebumps. I, I want to know you're here. And I think he would begin by asking some questions. He might would say, hey, so the first thing I tell you to do, the first step of obedience, if you followed me, is to follow me in believer's baptism. Have you done that? We want the miracle gift of spiritual vibrancy and we're not doing the things he's told. Some of us, we want financial miracles. I think Jesus would say, okay, are you being obedient with what I've asked you to do? Are you stewarding what I've already given you? So why in the world would I demonstrate my miracle power in your life when you're not willing to trust me with obedience? In the context of miracles, we always see a step of obedience. This took place at the Pool of Siloam. When we visited the Holy Land this summer, we visited the Pool of Bethesda. And you see that here. This is different from the Pool of Siloam, but I wanted you to see this because you get the context that this really happened. We can go to these places. Archaeologists have uncovered these pools, and we can understand that what history records is real. That those who were sick, that those who were lame, that those who were blind, that those who were mute, they would go to these community places, and they would often beg for money, and they would hope for the best. And regularly, it was in those contexts, just like he did at Bethesda, where Jesus would step up and demonstrate the miracle of healing power. By the way, blindness is the primary healing miracle that Jesus did. Over and over and over again, we see that Jesus healed of blindness. That healing took place in the context of Obedience. Just ask this question today. What miracles might be being missed in your life because of a lack of obedience? What is it that you're asking God to do that he might could just come back and say, okay, but first, do what I've already told you to do. And so what happens next is a series of questioning conversations. And when people witness what God has done, that's always what takes place. This is where we're, we most should be convicted. Because here's the facts. If Scripture is true, and here in this place we believe it is, when Jesus changes a life, you don't have to walk around thinking of creative ways to talk about Jesus. Because people see how different you are. And they begin to ask you questions. What happened to you? What's going on with you? Aren't you the one who was blind, drunk, or whoring around? Inquiring minds want to know. So you see a list of conversation. First, the man talks to his neighbors, and I'm not going to read it, but verses 8 through 12, he begins to talk to his neighbors. And it's funny, it's funny to me, because apparently they keep asking him, they don't believe him, because it says that the beggar kept saying, it's me. So they must have kept saying, are you really the blind guy? Are you sure? Are you the guy that always used to lay down there and you couldn't see and you were just holding out asking for gifts? 
And it says he kept saying, yeah, it's me. It's, he kept saying, it's me. That's the miracle of how God wants you to be a witness. When your life demonstrates the power of God, people keep asking and you keep having opportunity to say, yeah, yeah, that's me. He changed me. Even in the presence of the miraculous, there'll be those who fail to believe. But there will always be the questions, the same question he was asked by his neighbors. Now, who did this and what did he do? And we see something interesting as this blind, now seeing man answers the question. He says this, he knows the name of Jesus, but he just calls him a man. Well, all I know is he was a man called Jesus. So this then gets the attention of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And so in verses 13 through 17, he begins to talk to the Pharisees. And they are not happy. Now, why are they not happy? Because Jesus, again with a smirk on his face, he did this miracle on the Sabbath. And they thought that was breaking the law. He couldn't be God because he broke the law. And he made something. What did he make, church? Not a hard question. He made mud. And the Pharisees were so stinking legalistic that they thought because he made mud, he worked on the Sabbath. So now they were doubly mad at him. And so they come to this guy. Now, who is this? Who did this? And what did he do? And so he has his conversations with the Pharisees. But then to the Pharisees, he says, man, he's a prophet from God. Notice what's happening. The evolution of the seeing blind man. The more he thinks about what's happened, the more he begins to see Jesus for who he is. And that's the natural process that God wants you to be going through. See, if you look back at your life and you're the same place you were spiritually a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, something is not okay. Because God intends that the more you walk with Jesus, the more you see of Jesus. And the more you see of Jesus, the more you love about Jesus. And the more you love about Jesus, the more you want to know about Jesus. And the more you want to see about Jesus. And the more you want to love Jesus. He's progressing in his understanding. So then the Pharisees have had enough of him, and they go and talk to his parents. Now this is interesting. Verses 18 through 23, he's talking to the parents of the blind seeing man. He says, is that your son? He said, yeah, that's our son. Is that the guy that was blind from, he was born blind? Yeah, he's born blind. What happened? And then you've got this amazing statement. The parents say, he's old enough, you go ask him himself. And then in parentheses, it says, it's because they were being afraid of being excommunicated from their church. Now think about that for a second. And ask yourself, is that not just a picture on our society today? That even when we know the truth, there's a lot of us that out of fear fail to speak up, fail to do what's right, fail to testify to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our living God. And so they do what the parents say. They go back and talk to the man again. So this is the second conversation in verse 24 through verse 34. Now the blind man was seeing more and more clearly and the religious leaders were becoming more and more blind. How often do we act like the Pharisees? 
we get caught up in the how when God just wants us to see there has been a miracle. Those who were blind now see. The Pharisees are unsatisfied. And so the next part of the chapter, we see the man in his last of five conversations talking to Jesus. Verses 35 through 38. (laughs) And can I just tell you, there are some things in life that will never make sense until you talk to Jesus. I like all kinds of music. I really like the new song that we learned in this room today. But I can take just a little bit of southern gospel music. And it can excite me sometimes. Some of you know this old song. It says, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. He bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry and he will answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayer wheel turning, you know a little fire is burning and you find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. (laughs) This man had a little talk with Jesus and the result of his conversation was belief and worship. Look at verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe and I worship. He worshiped him. Now, why would he say that? Well, to understand that, you've got to go back to the verse right before that. So in in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. Why would he say that in John chapter 9? Well, he says that because Jesus asked him, do you, do you know who you're speaking to? Do you believe in the Son of Man and who He is? And the man answered, Sir, I want to believe in Him. And Jesus said, You're looking at Him. In verse 38, He says, The man believed and he worshiped. And that's when you see the greatest miracle of John chapter 9. See, it's just like I told Anaya last night. The the greatest miracle is not when the man born blind began to see. It was when the man who was lost became found. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. When our team visited London, one of the things we did was to do a tour of some sites of spiritual heritage and hear of some of the great leaders of days gone by. And we went in a little church called St. Mary of Woolnoth. And that little church, much, much, much smaller than this room, is where John Newton served as a pastor. 
And out of that little church, there were many other Christ followers who greatly influenced the world, who sat there under his teaching and his leading. Folks like William Wilberforce, who God used to stop the slave trade in England. But you probably know the name of John Newton. You may not know a lot about his story. History records that he was a ruthless and terrible man. John Newton was a slave trader. And he would literally lead the ships that would go back and forth to Africa in the slave trade. It was said that he was so vile that on one occasion, he looked around and saw that one of the slaves in the bottom of the boat still owned something that was her own. It was her child that she was nursing. He went to that slave, took the child out of her arms, went up above on the ship, and threw the baby overboard. That's the wretch that John Newton was. On one of those journeys, the ocean waters became so fierce that it became, it became evident that the ship would sink. The situation got so bad that even in his role, John Newton found himself below doing all he could to row, all he could to make sure the water would not get in. And as the ship was sinking, wondering if he could survive, it said that he cried out to God. And he says he prayed the prayer that ravens pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on me. And there that night, the Lord saved him. Because that's what God does. It changed the course of his life. And sometime later, he wrote the words to the song that our group sang as we gathered in the church that day. What's this? you to understand something today. If Jesus can open the eyes of the man born blind, if God can open the eyes of a lost sinner like John Newton, God can still open your eyes to the miraculous. And He can work for His glory in your life. I'm going to give you three observations from this passage before I pray with you. The first is this. God is always at work to demonstrate His power and declare His purposes in your life, even in the midst of this pain. So if you're there in the middle of it right now, don't waste the moment. Don't waste the pain. 
Ask God to begin to help you see his purpose. Ask him to begin to declare his power. Because as Babby Mason once wrote, God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. When you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. You're going to have to ask, are you okay with God if he doesn't do the miracle the way you want him to do it? It was early Friday morning that my friend Jim Stock texted me and he said, I'm up early today, I can't sleep, I'm praying for Kathy and I'm asking God for a verse and he's pointing me to to Psalm 41.3. Psalm 41.3, God's word talks about that ability for God to heal and restore to the uttermost. I immediately also up early began to respond back to Jim and yes, we're praying that. And it wasn't but a few hours later that Kathy entered into her eternal reward. And as Jim and I talked later that day, he was able to say, Pastor, I really believe that God's answer was to that verse that he really healed Kathy to the uttermost. He gave her ultimate restoration, ultimate healing. It wasn't what we wanted in the moment. But we still trust that God is at work. Are you willing to trust God working in and through your pain even when it's not the way you would like? Number two, Jesus is the only filter through which God's purpose and your pain can begin to make sense. So I just want you to understand, just like the blind man who had to come face to face with Jesus again to tie this all together, you too are going to have to begin to look at your life through the filter of who Jesus is and get to the place where you declare, it really is all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. So help me in this to see you more. Help me in this to know more of you. Help me in this to trust you. In a fresh and a mighty way. But there's a third thing. Just as Jesus sought out this blind beggar, Jesus is seeking you. And he's doing it for the same reason. That you might believe and worship him. So when I see this passage, I have to say, Yes, I'm drawn to the reality that God works miracles. And as God gives me breath, we're going to continue to cry out for my daughter, God, would you give her sight in her eyes for your glory, that your works might be seen? But when I look at that, this passage, that's not my primary takeaway. My primary takeaway is this. Am I living with belief? And am I worshiping my Lord? And that's what I would ask of you. Are you believing? Have you come to that place in your life where you've trusted your everything into his hands? 
Not just intellectually, but that's why we say with our heart, with our all. Have you come to that place where you said, I have believed? Have you believed? Have you given control of your all to Jesus? And then secondly, are you worshiping him? Does your life reflect his praise? Because that is really bizarre. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.